When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Low Tallest, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, and then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead, download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. The music world moves fast. Want to stay up to date on the latest albums and get in-depth examinations with the artists? Check out Consequence of Sound, the podcast. Bite-sized album reviews for the music fan on the go who wants to stay in the know and much more. Subscribe to the series on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider and let the writers of Consequence of Sound steer you right. Check it out at consequenceofsound.net slash podcast. Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with. It's an audio interview series presented by WFPK Independent Louisville at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. Uh, hey, do me a favor. Uh, hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening from right now. Whether that's Apple Podcasts, at iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, anywhere you're listening from right now, please do hit that subscribe button. We release interviews every uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday and, uh, and would love to keep you up to date on all those. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, my guest is Mark Eitzel, lead singer of American Music Club and, of course, a long, storied, historied solo career that I am a huge fan of. Uh, we're going to be doing some time traveling with Mark Eitzel today. We're going to start in 1989 for American Music Club's United Kingdom record. Then we'll hit to uh, the 25th anniversary of the San Francisco record. That was the record that more or less broke up the band and we'll talk about those final days of American Music Club. And then we'll jump to 2009 for a 10th anniversary of one of his solo records called Klamath. And after that, he gives us the scoop on what to expect next. Not just from his next solo record, but from the American Music Club camp. It's Kyle Meredith with Mark Eitzel. Hey, this is Mark Eitzel. Hey, first off, did I read right? Uh, you got a birthday, a big birthday coming up, right? Oh, let's not. Can we not? <laughs> I mean, you know, like, 
you know, I got a I got a gun loaded to my head. Can we not? <laughs> hey, happy birthday! I'm glad you're still here. <laughs> yeah. I just noticed that we'll just keep it at the dates. How about that? We'll just keep it at the date that there is a birthday on the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, with that present in mind, uh, this whole thing, I, I was hoping to jump uh, way back in time with you. In fact, there's uh, there's three, I, I call them the big round number anniversaries, uh, which I like to talk about. And you've got three albums that are uh, sort of celebrating that. Um, and uh, talking about United Kingdom, uh, 30th anniversary, San Francisco's 25th anniversary, and uh, uh, Klamath. Am I saying that right? Klamath? Yeah. Yeah. 10th anniversary on that one, too. So... Uh, lots going on with the big stuff. So as long as you're all right with hopping in the time machine, I, th- I feel like we'll, I figured we'd start back at the uh, the old uh, 1989. Sure, no problem. Yeah. So 30th anniversary of the United Kingdom. Now this is a this is an interesting record, I, and and I think some fans have always debated where this falls in the American Music Club catalog because it's it's I don't know how do you look at this record? It's sort of a hodgepodge, and it was only released in the UK, right? Well. After we did California, Demon Records wanted us to make another one right away. And uh, the guy who ran the record label thought, let's not, uh, he didn't want to lose us in the contract, you know, like, so he said, let's make a covers record. So, uh, well, a record of older songs done live. Let's do a live record. And I was like, well, I got all these songs written. And he said, I don't care, you know, (laughs) let's just do a live record. So we spent about a month recording a live record, working up to it. And then we, we, so we did the live record and it wasn't that great. And uh, again, I said, look, I got all these songs. He said, I don't care. So basically we, you know, it went back and forth. The the record company said, okay, well, we don't really want this live record and you know, it's not very good. So what do we do? And I think the owner of the record company had already taken the money. So he's like, fuck it, (laughs) fuck it. Because that was his favorite expression. Fuck it. Fuck it. Let's, let's, let's record a record. Fuck it. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck your songs. Fucking record it. So we did, you know, and uh, it, 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 I think it's pretty good. I, I like a lot of it. I, I, you know, the songwriting could, could use a little work, but I think it's good. Well, I mean, I think every songwriter thinks that, especially when they look back to, you know, their younger selves. But there are, there, there are beautiful songs all over this. You know, I was going to ask about a couple of them, too. Uh, and let's start out with Heaven in Your Hands. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, so I have no context of of what any of these songs are about, you know. And this was a record that I didn't really even be familiarize myself with until a few years ago, just because uh, these days it's sort of hard to find. On top of that, I mean, it's not like it's on the streaming services or anything like that. But so I, you know, let's start right. with that one. What do you remember about that song? Because it's it's such a beautiful song. I, you know, it's just sort of an attempt. I mean, I don't know. I, I get accused a lot of being like Billy Joel. Um, really? <laughs> who, oh God, it's awful. Who is who is not? You know, Billy Joel, who is not the enemy necessarily. You know, toxic masculinity aside. So I don't know. I, I think I was just trying to write a classic kind of love song. Well, no, it comes off as a classic love song. At least you, you've succeeded in that part. I never would have crossed my mind to compare it to Billy Joel, though. So it's. <laughs> no, I well, that's you don't live my life. I mean, it, it's it's like it's like everyone is like you know for years that's always been the thing. So when I look back at a song like that, I'm like, ugh, the the mushy sentimentality, the the nostalgia for for joy, the you know the all this shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I don't know. I'm I, look, you're asking the uh, the wrong person. I I I look back and I think rewrite the motherfucker, but. <laughs> <you know? laughs> 
you know, I don't really have a lot of, you know, like I look back on these songs, it's like, oh, uh, well, I, I, you know, for Juvenalia, I guess they're okay, but, yeah. you know, I don't know. Well, that's when we were also introduced to uh, to Kathleen by name in a song, which, of course, became a big fan favorite. I, I was reading an interview around the time where you said Kathleen wasn't very happy that her name was in the song, though. Oh, fuck no. And, I'm, I, and I look back and I feel regret that she was. I mean, this poor girl, it's like, you know, I, I'm a gay man, but but, it, but I was really in love with her, and and you know, I was 19 when I met her. You know, like if I had, had any kind of balls, I would have not been with her for so long. But she moved to San Francisco with me, and we lived together for all the time she was here. And then, uh, you know, uh, I don't think it helped that that these songs were were. I, I wrote them as a tribute to her, but also I wrote them because it was the only emotional experience that I was having right. you know so yeah she really fucking hated it on the other side you know so you'd mentioned California and and there's you know for whatever level I mean that's that's uh, AMC's uh, breakthrough uh, at the moment you know that's where the critical acclaim really starts right. rolling in and 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 you were you were tagged with a scene and you're you know so that's where we learn the words uh you know, slow core and stuff like that. Although I don't know if it was completely, you know, that word was around at that point. But, but definitely in the college music no. scene, this was a big thing at the same time. And I, I, that's what I was sort of wondering. Like at that time, you know, we can always look back in history and paint things in a certain way. Did you feel like you were a part of a scene at that time? Well, you know, when you're when you're young and you're in your in your early twenties in a city and and everyone is doing similar things. You know, there was. It wasn't called slowcore. It was sort of like a a, a new acoustic sort of thing. Because you know, I was. You know, at the time, I was. You know, like old. I was like 27, 26, 27, and uh, I, I. We were sort of. It's sort of like we were sort of starting to embrace. I mean, the thing is about about music. Then you know, lots of bands sang with English accents. You know, right. <laughs> it was. And I had friends. They all sang with English accents. It was really exciting. You know. And, it was awful, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and I think, and I think cause, cause really basically we were huge fans of, of English music, everything from Joy Division to, oh, everybody. I mean, you know, Ian McCullough, I mean, we just made a, and, and although we had other elements, I mean, Voody played in a country Western band for a while. Um, and Danny was definitely more in the Carter family than he was into Joy Division. So we kind of brought all those roots into sort of an anti-punk thing because we were all sort of invested with punk um so we thought fuck it mm-hmm. punk is just a stupid idea so let's do something else and and i guess in san francisco at the time there was sort of a scene like that you know definitely we had friends yeah. so i don't know if, if you know so we had friends who were in bands you know so we would always go to their shows they would always come to our shows kind of thing you know what i mean right right so yeah so i guess we were part of the scene but and and, and then getting i mean at that point you you were, you were on a major label at this point, yeah, in the U.S. or no? That came no. later. That came afterwards. No, 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 no. We yeah. were on. We were on. We were on Frontier Records. So that came afterwards, which which sort of leads you know into that 25th anniversary uh, anniversary of San Fran, uh, San Francisco, because you know by by '94 here you are on a much bigger label, and you know and and it's always um, awkward and and really unfair to compare too many different styles of music at once. But, you know, while you all were sort of a, you know, I don't know, a quieter band, you know, and a smaller band uh, on, on such a big label when things were 
when grunge was happening or or even before that in 89 when like guns and roses were happening or something like that you know but but to be able to be called oh, up no, i know we would we would we, we we would tour america and everyone would be like why don't you rock just rock <laughs> and we were like well rocking is not cool you know we don't think rocking is very cool yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah so so i'm sorry finish your question well no that, that that's perfectly because by by the time you get to san francisco you do start hearing the rock songs in there like you know san francisco is a very different record than united kingdom uh and and we're talking about you know a five-year well, difference yeah san francisco, san francisco was sort of the tail end of everything you know like the guy who um produced the first four american music club records had long since very bitterly dropped out of the scene he he kicked us out of the studio right after uh right right, right when we were making the, the the demos for um um everclear so he was way out of the scene and then bruce Kappen, who played pedal steel was way he was really not into the record and he was really not into being part of it and he quit and basically i uh, for that album because it was so much money i mean ridiculous amounts of money and the producer at the time had been working on the same song for one month you know to the tune of about fifty thousand dollars at the time just to try to make because warner brothers wanted it to be a hit record Mm -hmm. and i and actually i I was complicit I, i wrote those songs hoping somehow there would be some kind of hit to pay back warners for all their dedication i mean warner's was actually a great label at the time mm-hmm. uh we were really lucky so it's like yeah but but every every time you compromise it sounds like a compromise and basically so we wrote this record i i i basically t- told the band look i'm going to mix this with the engineer and i'm going to fire the producer and that's what's what i did because if you're there sort of at nine in the morning until until nine or ten at night every day mixing the same song and somebody from the band comes in and says well this just plain sucks and you go okay what do you mean which eq point to the eq and let's let's you know no it just sucks it should sound more like some 4ad band at the time it's like well okay how do you how do you make that happen we've just spent like all this fucking money and here you're just here as a sort of like for an hour in your day and i'm here every day so anyway i kicked the band out very they didn't like it and i don't blame them and that was actually the sort of the end of the band that that album because we america's got always needed somebody calm and talented and we had that with tom mallon you know the guy who fucking hated the fucking music and hated the fucking songs he was still a very stable person to have in the band and uh bruce the same thing bruce was also very well very stable in the band i mean we the rest of us were just kind of nuts i mean there was so much more alcohol being drunk in this band than you can possibly imagine <laughs> you know uh how many six so packs Bruce, yeah. <laughs> oh fuck me yeah. yeah so so many so so much alcohol is drunk that without a stable person in the band it was it was just going to fall apart so that and, and i mean there's so many stories around san francisco it was such a weird record to make it's a- I, I want to take the moment to compliment it, though. And, I, you know, San Francisco is one I'd heard here and there, you know, throughout the years. I probably hadn't listened to it in a little while. And I, I loved it. You know, I put it on the other night, played it straight through, enjoyed every bit of it. You know, I, I mentioned how many six-packs. It's a fun song, even if it is about, you know, a heroin addict, as I uh, recall. Uh, Hello, Amsterdam. You know, so here's a song that's very of the time. You know, I can hear that song, and I'm like, oh, that's that sounds very 1994 in the way 
some of that early cracker <laughs> stuff might have sounded or something like that. It's just the kind of that that um, you know it bops around kind of like that stuff and everything. But but I, I loved it. I, I didn't. It might feel like '94, but it's still a good song. You know, for, for oh, thanks. I don't know. It's a throwaway for me. It, it's sort of like you know. It's, honestly, it was just sort of a tribute to the band. We we kept playing. You know, playing playing for incredibly stoned people is is always is always really difficult. They just stare at you and they and they think, yeah. So now he feels sick. Uh, now he has mental problems. So he should go to the doctor. I'm bored with the music. Go to the doctor. Yeah. Um, thank you. I'm glad you like it. <laughs> You'd um you all had just toured with Pearl Jam a little bit before then and and I did wonder if there was any rub off or influence and you kind of say that you know not about Pearl Jam or anything but you know kind of wanting to write something big like that but but from what I understand that tour was not fun for you all. Yeah, it was sort of a disaster. I mean, we had been in, we had been invited to do the Les in Les uh, in I, I know I'm mispronouncing that. You know the the, the French magazine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were, they were amazing. At the time, they were the most influential paper, I think. And and they invited us to do a tour. We should have done it, but instead we did Pearl Jam. And, you know, just jumping into the maw of commercial America, you know. And, and Pearl Jam themselves, as human beings, are wonderful. They're really good, generous, warm people, all of them. But, uh, yeah, it was not right for us at all. <laughs> I mean, the last, show, the last show we did, we didn't get any shoes thrown at us. Not not too many, oh, um, which was pretty, which was pretty great. Yeah, they um, sidebar here. You know, they, they were sort of famous around that time for doing that. Uh, you know, because as band members, they had eclectic taste beyond what their audience was coming for. You know, and I think they did right. attract a, a lot of boneheads around the time because of of, of what was happening. But but I, I've heard that story before from several bands who kind of had that opening slot for that for Pearl Jam in that time. That it was all sort of the same thing, like the band really loved them, but the audience hated them. Yeah, I mean, and and we sh- we were fools. We should have done Les in Les in Rocketibla. You know, it's like uh, I really like, you know, another another big mistake from American Music Club. Yay! <laughs> so when did you know that it was done? Like you know, San Francisco ends up being the final album for a decade from American Music Club. Like when? What 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 was the moment where you're like, okay, well. That dream has passed, and on to the next chapter. Well, it was 1999. Um, you know, the band had run out of money, but our management company, who was pretty big at the time, were still commissioning us for every check that was that was cut. Warner Brothers had given Alias Records about $170,000 as a bonus to buy us from the label. And the first check had gone through and this was the second check i think the second check was, was like for seventy thousand, and they commissioned us on the check and we had no money to pay them the commission you know because the check came from warner brothers and we were like uh we have nothing and the and with the band was split basically like me and voodie were were thinking well we can go back to touring and sleeping on people's floors and the other two who were left were um thinking, no, we still want a paycheck. We still want our own hotel room. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> you know, the band had kind of reached, they still wanted a salary, and we, we'd had no money for salaries. So I was like, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, and the rest of the band, and I said, well, if we, this is it, right? I mean, if you, if you are not willing to just be the, be the band we were at the very beginning, then I think we're done. And the band were like, yep, we're done. 
Twilight Soul. Just like that. So, like that. And would you have kept it? I mean, you, so you were in it. You, you would have kept it going. I would have kept it going, but I was also, like, not willing to, to fund the band. Right. That was the thing. And I was, you know, because uh, I had taken my money, my Warner Brothers money. I'd bought a house and a car. The other ones had taken extended vacations. Uh, Danny bought a house in Montana, and Rudy went to Paris for a while, and I bought a house in San Francisco. So I was like, you know, kind of don't want to support you guys. Mm-hmm. Well, before we um, move on from San Francisco, you know, you, you, you kind of said that Hello Amsterdam for you is kind of a, a toss-off. Uh, I mean, are there any songs on there that you remember that still resonate with you? Cape Caravel, uh, maybe, or um, The Revolving Door. People people still really like that one. I think, I think at the time we were evolving into a we were, we were thinking we were a soul band, you know, Bill Withers, uh-huh. of course, you know. Um, but I don't know. I don't. I don't hate the record at all. I mean, I really don't. I mean, don't please don't get that impression. I love all these records, and I'm proud of of, of making them. You know, really, I'm I'm really proud that I was in this band because we were the best. I think we were one of the best bands ever. I mean, I really do. For a minute, uh, right. you meant a lot to a lot of people, and 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 I'm definitely one of those. You know, and so listening back on these and and kind of reconnecting with those moments. I mean, they're great records, and and, and so as the story goes, and I, so I'll go ahead and forward. Uh, you know, you guys did do two more records, and and that made nine. And even that last record, you know, the lineup was different. Is the band put to bed at this point, or is that door still, you know, to put something out under that name? Do you ever want to make it the complete ten? <laughs> uh, um, no. no. <laughs> I really don't care. I mean, I'm old now. You know, my yeah, I'm old. It doesn't matter. It's like no one, you know. Like, like I, I, I try every chance I get. I mean, that's the thing about American Music Club. We always shot ourselves in the foot all the time, you know? So I'm not, I, I mean, personally, I mean, next year we're going to really re-release. We finally, after 20 years, we managed to get rights to the first four American Music Club records. So we're going to remaster them all and maybe do some remixing. I don't, probably not, but definitely we've been, we digitized all the records and all the outtakes and all the demos and all the shit got so I mean I've got gigabytes and gigabytes and gigabytes of stuff yeah. that we hate what we need to go through we need to pay for the we need to pay the nice man who digitized them but um <laughs> but after that we're we're going to go through and try to find you know the ultimate box set for this um for these for these songs um so i don't, i think so this year in, in all this there's i think there's gonna be a lot of we're hoping that people will be interested in 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 this i don't know what the point i'm trying to make i just think i just don't you know i i don't want to go into like in, into the band members or anything like that because that's sort of personal stuff and and you know and they're all really good people and i love them but i i it, for me it's like why the fuck would I? You know, every every single show was a was a fucking cataclysmic disaster. You know, every, every there was never. I mean, in, in myself included, there was never a, a show we played or an album we made where somebody in the band didn't say we fucking suck. That fucking sucks. I don't want to be around that anymore. You know, my, my life's time's too short. Right. <laughs> you know, I don't have that much left. I don't have that much energy to be negative. And this band was always so fucking negative, you know, myself included. I mean, really. But I look at pictures of us then, and we're just we just glower, we're miserable motherfuckers. And I, I don't, I don't want to be any part of it. What even what you're saying, box sets, all that stuff. You know, the first four albums, like that's very exciting to me. 
because I mean, if you're a new, if you're someone that just found you all, you know, if like you can't find that stuff very easily, you have to really, really try. So you know, for that stuff to be available again, that's really, really exciting. And you know, the idea of a box set, I mean, that's uh, that's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, plus, 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 a lot of the outtakes. Like, there's there's a song called "The Restless Stranger" that I that that I think Warner Brothers released when they did they did some re-releases like um, in the early '90s of of they released "Restless Stranger" and "Engine," and we included all the all these extra tracks on there. And boy, "Restless Stranger" is an amazing song. It really is. It's like I I, I don't know why we never included it on the album. I think because it was it was I think including it on the record would have been the right thing to do, and we never did the right thing. <laughs> you know? Music Club, we never you did know? the right thing. There's your box set title right there. That's it. <laughs> I know, I know. I know. Uh, we hit it for just for a second on the uh, on the Klamath record too, which uh, which is celebrating its tenth anniversary much later this year. I, I do believe it's at the end of the year. Uh, but uh, st- talking about hard to get to albums, this was one you released on your own through the website, right? Right. Yeah. What yeah. was the, what was the story behind this one? Because this is the first one after that second AMC reunion album. Yeah. Well, I got some friends who have a cabin up in Klamath in, in a place called Happy Camp, and I love these people a lot. And they let me stay in their <laughs> basically in their drying room uh, where they where they dry the pot. So I so I stayed in this cabin surrounded by marijuana plants, drying um, for a good month, and I came up with these songs and recorded most of them in the cabin. So that's that's where that comes from. It's just sitting surrounded by by Bud writing this album, which is why I it would mean, be I, so I, I, minimalist, I guess. It's pretty well. It is and it isn't. I mean, I, I want to read. I want. I mean, again, you know, that's the thing. I keep I, like okay, like help me to believe from from San Francisco. You know, mm-hmm. like. I'm rewriting that. Uh, and now, now the song is called "Help Me to Kill Off My Character," um, <laughs> because because it was it was such a, an ego based sort of sort of song. It was really you know like me 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 you know and I wonder what these bullshit fucking songs. So um, uh, you know why did I go on this tangent? I, I, I guess um, I guess because on Clam it's the same thing. I want to redo it. I I want to resing it because I I think the vocals were a little like like quiet. And I don't, I don't really sing quietly. I just did on that record for some reason. Yeah. I, I've actually been talking to a, a, an engineer in Los Angeles to actually go in and re, redo it. And I don't know why. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm redoing everything. And, and also, I've also finished a new album of, of, of 20 songs um, that I'm going to do with Bernard Butler this summer. No, that's the best news. I mean, a new album. You know, of course I was hoping for that. You know, of course I was going to ask for that. Oh, yeah. But and 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 I will. But um, two more things for Klamath anyway. While I'm here, all right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. A yeah. compliment. Uh, one's not really a question. Why I'm bullshit. That song right there. I, I I've watched probably four or five live performances. That's uh, on YouTube of that one, and that is such a fun song. Every time I've seen those live performances to to, to watch you do, it is so theatrical how you get into that one uh that's wonderful so any chance that you know brings that one i guess back in the limelight i think i'll enjoy that (laughs) i like doing that song you know um it's it's probably the truest song ever written about about uh me why i'm bullshit bullshit (laughs) it's all about the mission yeah Yeah. it was franz nicolay part of that record franz nicolay was part of the tour oh uh, part of the tour okay yeah i I toured with him extensively in europe that's why I was trying to figure out the credits uh, that I saw his name tossed around, but I didn't know if he was on the album or, or just helping you out. Uh, 
which uh he was just hoping he was i told think he was on the album i could be wrong uh no because <laughs> i did all this myself so yeah. i don't I mean, I live in this place was, for instance, I, I, I started writing with my friend Simon Stevens. Uh, it, 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 so, so I started writing for, for theater at the same time. And I live in this place was written for a play that we co-wrote called Marine Parade. Uh, I don't, it's a little trivia. Oh, he's good for that stuff, too. And there's a line on it. I think it's on the last song. We're all going to be forgotten. Let's face it. It's all we have in store. I thought. Is that right? I don't know the lyrics anymore. <laughs> yeah, there's a line. There's a line right towards the end of that record, and I, I thought, what a what a beautiful sentiment, whether I believe it or not. And and I say I don't believe oh, is it. That, is that is that is that Roland Cole was a rock star? Yeah, yeah, it's that one. Sorry. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, Roland uh, Cole. Oh, go on. Sorry. No, no, no. Roland Cole was a was a rock star in Columbus, Ohio, in the '80s. He was he was the biggest. He was, he, he would he just. He's the first person I ever met that just was charismatic. You know, like, uh, there's a lot, you meet people in your life and you know that they're rock stars, you know, and, and Ron, Ron Cole was, was, you know, wanted to be David Bowie a little bit too much. I think that's in the song. But anyway, sorry, sorry. No, yeah, it's, yeah. But, but that line, I thought, Ron, Ron, Ron. you know, here, we're all going to be forgotten, let's face it, it's all we have in store. And I thought, that's kind of funny and, and a little bit ironic as, uh, as here I am just remembering all of these great moments throughout your catalog, you know, that's... Uh, yeah. So nothing to worry about there. You know, we'll keep that flame burning for you. <laughs> um, what can you? T- what else can you tell me about that new record, if anything? I mean, twenty songs. You know, you're working on it this summer. I mean, is there anything that's uh, you know newsworthy about this at this point? There's no story. That's that's what my that's what my manager in England keeps telling me is like you got to have a story, and I just like well, I don't really have a story. I'm just writing these horrible songs, you know. <laughs> So I don't know. They're real. I don't know. It's either the worst thing or the best thing I've ever written. I, I, I bet it's the worst. You know. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, if it's anything like your last one with Hey Mister Ferryman, which was one of my favorite records of that year, I still worship that record. I, we wear it out around the house. My wife loves it and puts it on all the time. <laughs> and if it's any kind of continuation of that, you know, we're going to be right there for it. I don't think it is going to be a continuation of that. It's pretty. <laughs> It's 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 pretty fucking bleak, you know. It's it's pretty dark. So well, I don't know. So are the times we live in, and uh, I know. God bless. A reflection of maybe. Uh, I can't wait to hear it. I look forward yeah. to hearing it. It sounds like it's still a little bit of ways before I'll get to, but uh, but I'm excited that it's going to happen. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Mark, thank you so much uh, for taking the trip uh, here, uh, a 30-year trip, as it were. I always appreciate your time, and uh, I'll look forward to catching up again when uh, we got a record to talk about. Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate right. it. Take care. Okay, bye. Bye. And a big old thanks to Mark Eitzel talking about American Music Club's United Kingdom in San Francisco, his solo record, Klamath. I cannot wait to hear what he's got in store on this next solo record as well, dark as it might be. Uh, Hey, if you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening from right now, whether it's at Apple Podcasts and iTunes, uh, Spotify, if you're listening on YouTube, you can do it there as well. Then head over to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show every Monday through Thursday from noon to 3 Eastern. You can also find some bonus episodes of this series over there. Head to Consequence of Sound to get your music and film news. You can find me at Twitter at Kyle Meredith, Facebook slash Kyle Meredith. That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time.
Consequence Podcast Network. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.